Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher. Just two techies with a giant ocean between us talking cloud, URL shorteners, and technology. I'm Dan Usher, and this is episode five, recorded on 4 March 2015. Good morning, Scott. Oh, geez, that was me. Uh, good morning, Dan. Good evening, Dan. Crap. What, um, yeah, uh, we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> Are you confused over there in Australia now? Is that is that the problem? Uh, I'm extremely confused. The toilet's flush and reverse, and water goes down the sink the wrong way, and everything's backwards and upside down. Um, it's, it's pretty hard to live this way, but I suffer through it. Somehow, some way. Our hero, Scott Hogue. Yeah, I know that uh, Mark Anderson, when he was down there about a year ago, uh, I think he did some sort of experimentation, correct me if I'm wrong, and he made some like videotapes. And I don't know if he actually put those out to the public, but I thought that was kind of humorous whenever he'd be posting up on uh, Bookface about that. Yeah, that was the thing to do. So uh, John White, who's an MVP up in Canada, uh, and Mark Anderson from Boston, um, they were out here for the SharePoint conference last winter, which would have been your summer. Right. Um, and there was a little bit of an obsession with, uh, tracking, you know, this whole, uh, Coriolis effect and, uh, everything being in reverse. Uh, so it turns out that I, 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 as I recall, John White was the one that, uh, nailed it down, uh, you know, a sink with a Q-tip pull the plug in the sink, and that way you could actually see the uh, Q-tip spinning in reverse. So it provided a little bit of a uh, visual aid to, to help the viewers along. Um, yeah, that, that problem was solved. If those guys come back out again this year, uh, I don't know what they're going to work on. Uh, maybe figuring out um, the best way to get drunk on Australian beer. Interesting. <clears throat> so you're telling me they didn't decide to use any sort of like food coloring or dyes to be able to you know, be like a tracer to kind of show that effect off? No, no. Well, you know, who knows? Buying food dye out here is probably so expensive that it's uh, uh, cost prohibitive to do that type of experimentation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, we're back in action for week five of our never-ending series of Brewery FM, I guess. Um, my name's Dan Usher, uh, resident of good old Fairfax, Virginia. Um Joined with me today by the nun, the illustrious Scott Hogue. Hi, Dan. Hey, Scott. Um, so I'm curious, Scott. I know you mentioned uh, a little while ago before we actually started recording that you had seen a dragon flying through the sky and Mothra was fighting with the dragon and that, you know, beads of sweat were rolling down everybody's faces and temples. Uh, what's it like out there today? What have you been up to, man? Uh, it's, it's been pretty good. We had some nice storms over the last week. So, uh, if you're one of those types of people who happens to frequent Buzzfeed, uh, we had a lot of those nice kind of wall clouds rolling across the city, uh, on Sunday, we had a big storm roll through. We're actually getting ready to, uh, kind of head into autumn. Uh, so Sunday it was 99 degrees Fahrenheit and you know, that's just the start of autumn, 99 degrees. So, you know, take it, run with it. Um, do what you can with it. Um, been spending quite a bit of this last week uh, helping out a client with some uh, Azure fun stuff, uh, kind of trying to get over some of the, uh, the, the FUD around the cloud, that, that fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, around moving workloads up there and uh, what we can do to be um, compliant with existing systems, things like that. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I was talking to one of the user group organizers out here, uh, Ivan Wilson. He runs the uh, SharePoint user group out of Sydney. Uh, so I'm going to go out and do a talk this month, uh, hopefully uh, in another couple weeks here, uh, talk about Office 365 authentication, um, kind of work through all the different uh, models and methods that are up there and, and do some demos around uh, Dersync versus uh, uh, Azure Active Directory, Sync, the, the new Sync tooling, things like that. Uh, how about you? What's been going on? Well, you know, we've uh, <clears throat> we've seen snow a couple times um, in the past week, and apparently we were supposed to see some snow last night. Well, maybe this morning sometime. Uh, so we had a little bit of sleet out here. We're supposed to get more snow, but in between, you know, we're supposed to actually pop up to 50 degrees, and that'll just be glorious. 
But uh, no, things have been fairly tame the past couple days. Uh, I went down to UVA for a basketball game, which was pretty sweet. I'd never been into the John Paul Jones arena, so that was uh, definitely something that was, for less of a better term, awesome. Uh, <clears throat> UVA is uh, kicking butt, taking names this year, so it's been kind of fun to watch them play. Um, from the you know the technology world, uh, not a whole lot has really been going on. I've been uh, helping kind of mentor and uh, take a few folks by the hand and help them understand some of the ins and outs and basics of Azure, which has been rewarding in some regards. Um, uh, it's been it's been decent. Um, I guess the other thing is just uh, trying to keep up with all the news that the office team is putting out and trying to catch up with all the different stuff going on with conferences and uh, when they're you know coming up upon us. So. It's been uh, it's been decent. Um, I know we've got a couple items in follow up. Do we want to just go ahead and start attacking those, or do we want to skip around? No, no, let's bang through them. So uh, you had Rustin SharePoint user group this week, right? You, you help out, run that, put yeah. things together. Yeah. So that user group that we started a couple years ago, that we said, hey, let's do it over the lunches and let's get Brian Bowling to see if he can hook us up with some space. Uh, yeah, we were, we were all set to go yesterday. I was about to put the pizza order in. I sent a note to the guys that we were speaking and got a note back. It was like, crud, dude, I, I wish, you know, uh, uh, I wish I could speak today, but unfortunately, um, not going to be able to make it. I'm homesick and there's just, yeah, there's no way. So, uh, being an hour and a half out from the event, uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to, you know, pull a bait and switch and everybody coming to learn about uh, quick branding tips for SharePoint and uh, change up on them and be like, hey, everybody, guess what you're going to be learning about? You're going to be learning about OneDrive for Business. So I, I decided to uh, just go ahead and cancel it for the month, which is kind of a bummer because we had somewhere in the ballpark of like 50 or 60 people signed up, which means, you know, kind of the, the normal rule of thumb, 20, 25 will actually show up. But uh, it was... Uh, Kind of a letdown. Um, I'm excited, though, that this coming month, uh, good old Danny Jesse will be back with us uh, speaking on some sort of SharePoint goodness. I know he sent me a bit of a synopsis and topic uh, yesterday morning, so hopefully I'll be able to get those up on the website and be able to start attracting folks to that session. So Rest and Spug is still alive. It's still kicking. Uh, for anybody out there that's interested, we have a meetup site, restinspug.org. Um, and we're always looking for good speakers too. So, so do you think, statistically speaking, Danny Jesse is going to be able to show up? Um, you know, statistically speaking, I, I think he will. But uh, he did mention there was a off chance of him having some travel stuff that he might have to do. So, there is a probability that I'll just have to wake you up in the middle of the night, and we'll Skype you in, and you can teach us all about Office 365 and identity. Perfect. Well, Let's do it. I'm sure that uh, you know. I'm, your family would love you for that. Uh, you, you know, it would probably be one of the few times the house is quiet, so it might actually work out pretty well. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, I mean, that's going on. Uh, SharePoint Saturday, Philly's going on this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you remember the place. It's like something 29. Uh, I don't quite bar 29, maybe. Um, but the restaurant will be one of the highlights, of course. Um, it'll be good to see uh, Mike McCullian and... Uh, David Mann and those guys. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I come away unscathed. I know last year was kind of interesting uh, going up there. I think two years ago when you and I went up there, it was snowing on the way just because we decided to take the uh, the western approach to Philly. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple routes to get up there and do things. I, I hope you have a good time at that one. It's always a great event. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be out at the MTC there in Malvern. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> or at least that's where you're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've also got SharePoint Fest DC coming on in April. Are you, are you speaking at that? Yeah, I need to go back and see which sessions got selected. But yeah, I'm, I'm speaking at that. I've got two sessions, David Wilhelm and Art. You know, they put it on two years ago. They're doing it uh, this go round as well. So it'll be, it'll be good to have them back in town. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many folks actually show up to this instead of going to Ignite out in uh, Chicago. So Chris Bortlick, our buddy from up in Boston, Microsoft, I don't know if he's a PFE or if he's a 
I think he's a what technology solution specialist, um, TSP guy. Um, I think he is going to be speaking and doing the uh, the keynote for that. So it'll be good to have him down in DC region for a couple days at least to kind of catch up. But yeah, so that's going on. I want to say middle of uh, April, and if anybody's interested, definitely hit me up. I've got a code that you can use for a couple hundred dis <coughs> dollars discount if uh, if you're interested in going to that conference. So. Perfect. Night. I was going to ask you about that. So that's a paid event, SharePoint Saturday, REST and User Group. Uh, those are all free things. Um, so it sounds like folks can hit you up for uh, discount codes, things like that. Uh, do you know if there's any opportunities for anybody to win tickets to that? I know sometimes they, uh, you know, the organizers of those events will throw some things across to uh, some of the user groups and things like that to or even over to like SharePoint Saturdays and things to do giveaways to uh, kind of do the needful for the community. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. We're, uh, we're actually going in and we are giving away passes to that. Uh, I think we've got, don't quote me on this, but I think we've got four passes to give away for Rest and Spug. So we'll be giving, a, <clears throat> we'll be giving away a couple passes uh, when Danny Jesse's speaking and we'll actually be doing a internal raffle. So... I think we have four passes. Don't hold me to that. Uh, it might just be two. Um, pretty much all the different user groups in the DC area, uh, David and Art were kind enough to say, hey, we've got extra passes um, to help with the community. And so if you're in the DC region, you've got four different user groups you could go to. Uh, between now and the conference, you've got at least probably four or five more chances. So yeah, there are a lot of chances, opportunities to try and go for free. But I want to say the ballpark cost of it is somewhere around $1,200, which, you know, for a three-day conference is pretty reasonable considering uh, they've got a ton of different speakers going across a ton of different knowledge base areas. So that'll be a, be a good conference for folks to attend if they're in the area. Yeah, especially for those folks that are local and maybe can't make it out to Ignite or to some of the other conferences going on. So sounds like a great opportunity there. So outside of that, um, <laughs> I guess uh, one of the other conferences that we just kind of alluded to was uh, Ignite. Um, the speakers were announced, I think, yesterday. I think I saw something out on Twitter that said, hey, congratulations to the speakers. And I kind of scratched my head and I went, huh, I guess I wasn't chosen. Huh, oh, well. Um, which, you know, is probably a good thing because it's, what, 60 days out now. Um, so those guys that are going to be speaking, they've got, you know, just under two months to get everything polished, which means probably because it's a big conference, they probably have all their stuff that they have to get back to Microsoft way before that. Um, and you and I both know how that goes where, you know, it'll be one of these conferences and they'll ask for your materials uh, almost a month in advance sometimes just so they can, you know, <clears throat> go through it, make sure it fits with the rest of the conference and works well together. So, uh, you know, Good on the guys that uh, got selected and should be definitely a good conference. Um, the other thing that kind of popped up in the news that I saw with regard to Ignite was the uh, Microsoft Learning. So Microsoft Learning always has big presence at all the different conferences. Um, usually they have some sort of training camp, training boot camp. So folks like uh, Enrique Lima and uh, who else? I think Michael Lauder used to do them as well. And then one of your colleagues, uh, Shannon, is that right? Mm, not sure, but. Yeah, so anyway, uh, some of the folks that, uh, you know, big in the SharePoint community, they would go down to the different conferences and help out with some of the, uh, you know, here's things you need to study for and make certain you know for the different exams um, as a part of the conference is like a ambassador for Microsoft Learning, and then uh, you could schedule exams to take and then come home with a couple certifications, hopefully. Um, so those are half off. Uh, Microsoft is, you know, definitely pushing folks to go ahead and sign up because obviously they don't want you to get there. Uh, and then just see that the only times <laughs> or only slots that are available are like the very last day after everyone's already left. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be good for anybody that's actually trying to go get a certification uh, done. Yeah, I think this week they also, I, I saw uh, Mark Cashman uh, posting on the Office 365 network about uh, SharePoint events uh, and also a little bit 
providing a little bit more background on the SharePoint track, how many sessions, uh, things like that. One of the nice things is by having speakers finalized, this means they can also finalize uh, sessions and session descriptions uh, and give folks generally a better sense of what's going to be going on um, at that conference. Yeah, which definitely will help with uh, uh, folks being able to put together kind of what their itineraries are for the different things. I know, I think uh, Bill Bear and Fabian are doing a workshop on hybrid, and I think I saw something about Andrew Connell doing something about uh, Office apps as well as a pre-con. So those two uh, sessions probably be pretty heavily attended, which will be good for them, obviously. Uh, but speaking of kind of the training side of things, uh, did you see the announcement yesterday for uh, for the World Education Alliance? Was that the name of it? I completely missed this one. Oh, I have really? no idea. So yeah. enlighten me. So, well, Scott, uh, it was kind of unnerving, maybe. Is that the right word? Uh, so I know that uh, Mindsharp recently went through kind of an acquisition, I think, um, where they were bought back by someone, I think. Is that right? By Summit 7? Maybe, maybe not. I uh, I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be making it up, so okay. I'm just going to listen to you make it up as you go. Well, okay. Here we go. Time for story time with Dan. Uh, so I think it was a couple months ago. I really want to say that uh, Summit 7 Systems um, bought good old Mindsharp. Um, and I think, and we might have to edit this out later, but I could have sworn they, uh, they had acquired Mindsharp, um, and that they were going to be working with, uh, the folks at Combined Knowledge. So, um, the folks over in the UK and that was kind of a, you know, big deal. Um, well, it obviously is a big deal, but, uh, they were taking ownership of the company that had spun them off years earlier, which is pretty neat. Um, kind of see that go through, but, uh, there was an email that uh, was sent out, and it was kind of interesting from Critical Path, just saying, hey, here's this World Education Alliance. Uh, we're going to be partnering up with Mindsharp and Combined Knowledge to be able to uh, kind of meet the demand of everyone. So that, I believe, was published yesterday, which would have been Monday uh, to March. Um, but yeah, it was kind of out of the blue, kind of one of those things where it was me scratching my head going, how's that going to work? Um, so I'm really curious to see... Uh, if they are going to completely consolidate, you know, all the different training opportunities and training classes, or if they're still going to stay uh, three separate entities and just kind of point people to one another, depending on what area of expertise or uh, what location and time. Yeah, we'll put a link to the website in the show notes for that. It looks like their intention is to kind of stay separate. Um, certainly, they all focus in different areas, uh, critical path. Uh, tends to be that in-depth, hands-on, highly technical training. Uh, when I think of companies like Mindsharp, I often fall back to uh, kind of their, their CBT business and a lot of things that were driven out of that. Um, and uh, as I recall, uh, quite a bit of their pre uh, training materials are more around uh, end-user kind of focused things. So, uh, you know, I typically think of Critical Path as going and sitting down with uh, somebody like Andrew Connell in a classroom for a week um, and let's learn about uh, SharePoint 2013 workflows and the workflow engine and the REST APIs and everything that goes into it uh, versus Mindsharp. Let's go and sit uh, maybe some of our power users or more advanced users in a room um, and learn how we can better leverage the platforms that we've been standing up. Yeah, uh, I don't disagree with you one bit. It's uh, one of those things where kind of the, you know, think about it, uh, depending on what area of expertise you're looking for, you you or I would go to a different uh, training provider as needed, whereas I think perhaps, you know, most folks, they just kind of say, hey, I'm looking for SharePoint training, and they choose one, and it doesn't always quite fit their needs. So hopefully, you know, like you mentioned, they'll uh, be able to work together well and uh, point folks to the right educator or team uh, based on the need. But, yep, the website's out there. Um, hopefully that will uh, meet the educational needs of our listeners. 
Um, the last thing, last two things we had on follow-up, uh, one was the Apple event on 10 March. Uh, it's been fairly quiet. The only thing that I can really say is that, you know, I've heard <clears throat> murmurings of people saying, you know, it, it definitely could be that new laptop that we're all looking for. But uh, I'm going to guess that, you know, that's probably not the case because they wouldn't want to do that with you not being stateside because that just wouldn't be fair. Um, pretty certain you'd probably, uh, probably get pretty frustrated Similar to how things are, you know, if uh, the last cookie gets eaten from the Girl Scout cookies box. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I think a lot of it's just going to be the watch. I think there's a lot of questions around that. You know, it's been uh, six months since they did that initial introduction. They're getting ready closer to sale. They should have a better idea of uh, some details, two big ones being battery life and price. Uh, hopefully they can come across with some of those things. Uh, that event's actually March 9th, not March 10th. Yeah. It would be March 10th for me because I live in the future, um, but you're not that lucky. You're, you're still stuck in the past. Well, you know, um, we can't all live the charmed life of Scott Hoog. Yeah, you're totally right. I just looked at my calendar and fantastical and boom, 9th. Huh. Got something else going on in the 10th anyway. So the last thing, uh, it was kind of interesting. I like to say that a lot apparently. Um, Starbucks app was updated on iOS where you could actually use uh, your fingerprint instead of having to type in your password for your Starbucks account every single time you wanted to reload it. And I saw this and I was like, well, that's kind of cool. Um, no longer do I have to worry about having to sit there and type in a password, you know, when I need to add five bucks back to my Starbucks card so I can get that uh, uh, tall uh, Americano. So I thought that was a nice little addition. And I know you can do the same thing where you use your fingerprint to get in and use iTunes to buy a piece of music or, you know, buy an app or something like that. I thought it was suspect, though, that, uh, you know, <clears throat> Starbucks gives away free music, free apps through uh, the iTunes store. They don't quite have the cohesiveness there yet because you still have to go in and put in your iTunes password or your Apple ID and all that jazz, which is just kind of a pain in the butt instead of uh, just using the integrated API that should already be there uh, to make use of your thumbprint or you know whichever fingerprint you happen to have programmed into your phone. I don't know if you'd notice that. I know you don't have Starbucks over there so much, so. Uh, we, we, we have three, of, three or four in Sydney, um, someplace in the CBD. Uh, so I stop down occasionally when I need to buy syrups and things like that. Uh, it's actually not an API thing that you're running into. So it's more the flow for buying things in iTunes. So when you buy things in iTunes, if you have Touch ID on your device, there, there's an option uh, in the settings on your iOS device to say, hey, let me just uh, use my fingerprint as my password. Everything goes through, Bob's your uncle. Um, part of the problem is when you're doing, uh, it's actually two different purchase paths. So when you're doing a purchase where you're using your fingerprint, that's either drawing from your credit card or maybe from an existing gift card that you've applied to your account. When you're coming through that other path from the Starbucks app, they're actually generating uh, redemption codes on the fly. So they're giving you a code that's good for that, just that song or for just that application, things like that. Um, and unfortunately for redemption codes, Apple requires you to uh, type in your username and password every time. So it's actually, there, there is no API for it, no way around it. It's just kind of the way iTunes store works on an iOS device. Uh, yeah, very frustrating kind of thing. Um, but you'll notice anytime, like even if you go out to like IGN does their free game of the month, things like that, you want to download the latest and greatest, um, you know, whatever, uh, you're going to hit the same thing. You're going to click the button and it's going to pre-populate that field for you, um, but you're always going to be prompted for your username and password. And it's, it's really kind of a confusing flow because you'll go in, it's pre-populated, you hit redeem, um, and then uh, it'll pop up. It'll say, hey, put in your iTunes username and password, go, 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 go. And then you got to hit the redeem button again. So... Really confusing flow, but I, I guess people will figure it out somehow. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I just uh, kind of scratched my head when I saw that. I was like, man, this is uh, this is not the best user experience. Come on, guys. You can work on this, can't you? Yeah, all sorts of things that they could probably work on in that space, right? Yep. Uh, it, it'd be really nice if they just came out with like a, a dot whatever point release for iOS, like 8.1.01 or something like that, and added like a share sheet. To, or, or the extension to the built-in uh, mail client, you know, things like that would be really great because then you'd actually be able to do like print to PDF for your emails and things straight from your device. Uh, so it, there's always things to be done in that space. Hopefully, you know, as we see some of these additional updates coming out. So 
talked about the watch coming out, so there's got to be a new version of iOS that comes along to accompany that. Uh, there's been talk about having public betas uh, for iOS releases, so they've been doing that for uh, Yosemite uh, for the last couple uh, point releases. So, like, we've got a new 10.3 beta came out for Yosemite the other day. Uh, word on the street is they're going to open up that beta program for iOS devices as well, uh, starting with iOS 8.3. So, 8.2 is going to be pegged to um, Apple Watch and having, you know, kind of those back end uh, iOS internals ready to go to do that side of things. And then starting with 8.3, it sounds like they're going to go over to kind of a more uh, public beta uh, system to hopefully start working out some of these uh, kinks a little bit faster. You know, the more people we get to use the systems, the quicker we can find out about what's going on with them. Yeah, just to just take a quick step back, by the way, not to, uh, not to throw the kibosh on app updates and all that with uh, Apple, but uh, just to correct something, um, <clears throat> it would seem that uh, Mindsharp was actually acquired by Combined Knowledge, and Combined Knowledge is now partnered with Summit 7 or something along those lines. Yeah, we call that real-time follow-up. Yeah, well, you know, I, it was just kind of nagging me in the back of my mind. I was like, I don't know. Did they actually? Huh, I don't know. So anyway, uh, Combined Knowledge and Mindsharp kind of merged, and it looks like uh, they're just in cahoots together now. So good times. Um, until someone else tells us otherwise, that's the story I'm going with based on the mindsharp.com website. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so how about we get into uh, some of these other kind of points of interest, things that we wanted to talk about, bring folks up to speed on. So I thought you'd uh, never it, ask. Well, I know for both of us, you know, we tend to work in this space and consume uh, a lot of news across the course of uh, a few weeks or a month, things like that. Um, and it always doesn't uh, disseminate back out to everybody else. So it, it'd be nice to kind of raise the bar and, and have everybody looking at the same resources and things like that. Uh, so one of the first ones I want to talk about is uh, all the short URLs to get to Microsoft uh, resources. So Microsoft owns a domain, uh, aka.ms. Um, they use that as their primary URL shortener, and they have a bunch of things that go through there that point back to the you know, go.microsoft.com and the download center links, things like that. Um, so one of the things they actually have in there is uh, a link that points to all the Office 365 uh, tuning materials, so that's aka.ms forward slash tune. Um, go there, it'll take you into how to um, better configure your Office 365 and, uh, environment and your desktops, uh, everything, kind of get everything uh, in sync and, and working across. Um, I know one of your favorites is the Office 365 service description, so that's at office365sd.com, and that dumps you straight into that long TechNet URL uh, gives you a sense for um, what the different SKUs in Office 365 do um, across everything. It's not just SPO, but we can also look across Link and Exchange and some of those other uh, workloads that are deployed out there. Um, and also how we can compare those to on-premises. So I think that's a hugely valuable resource uh, that not a lot of people take advantage of. No, I definitely agree with you. And actually, take a step back, that tuning uh, URL that one has come in to uh, <clears throat> save me quite a few times now. Uh, it's always kind of funny when someone asks, well, what kind of bandwidth do I need? And that usually is the first place I send them. And typically their first thing, they kind of turn around and they say, well, this network planning reference doesn't have uh, what I need for SharePoint. And I kind of scratch my head and I say, really? And they say, yeah, there's nothing about uh, you know, SharePoint on here. There's just this OneDrive for Business uh, synchronization calculator. And usually it's at that point where I kind of scratch my head and I say, oh, well, you know, uh, OneDrive for Business is just a SharePoint site collection or part of a SharePoint site collection. It's part of that personal profile, and that's just your your uh, document library you've got there. So if you estimate that, and you know what your document libraries look like everywhere, <clears throat> everywhere else in your SharePoint environment, you can probably use that to kind of get a good idea of what uh, your network traffic looks like there as well. So. You're right, those tools definitely come in handy. And that service description, let me tell you, man, that thing gets updated probably weekly. Um, it would be nice if they had like a little change log uh, that, you know, we could actually go look at and say, oh, look, that was the three lines they added. And maybe that is there and I just don't realize it. Um, two of the other things, I think you might have mentioned these, maybe not. Um, if you're looking for deployment guides for Office 365, 
short URL for that is deploy.office.com. It's uh, fairly handy, <coughs> fairly handy, fairly friendly. If you're looking for the old deployment guide for Office 365, it's still buried inside the service description. Uh, that got more into the nuts and bolts and the technology. The deploy.office.com is more of kind of that, uh, I don't want to say softer side of deployment, but the actual uh, you know strategies for change management to work with your users. So it's great that uh, those pieces are out there now that uh, folks can actually go make use of. In the past, it was kind of that, uh, <clears throat> you know, how many chickens do I have to sacrifice to get my users on board with Office 365? And this is more the, here's what it is, here's, you know, the strategy you should potentially take, and here's some materials that you can use to start uh, helping your folks get on board with that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the deploy site. So it, it, it offers a couple of things, like you said, it, it, it helps organizations uh, onboard. Uh, it also provides resources around how Microsoft can help organizations onboard. Uh, and it also has a lot of the, the fast track resources in there, uh, which are how Microsoft partners can help organizations onboard. So uh, I, I don't see a lot of organizations personally. I, maybe I just don't run into them because of uh, the sales organization that I work with at my company um, that take advantage of things like fast track and, and DPSs and some other things. Um, so those resources are definitely out there. Uh, for organizations to consume, and everybody should kind of take a look at that uh, and understand what's going to go into um, a deployment, whether it's uh, full bore or even just taking a step back and saying, uh, what can we do uh, inside of a quick POC uh, to really see where we're going to uh, be able to find some value uh, in the Office 365 platform. Yeah, and probably the other thing is a lot of folks, they fail to realize, or maybe they just uh, they didn't get the memo about uh, onboarding support that Microsoft now has, where is it 250 seats is required, something like that. Um, yep. if, you, if you buy 250 seats, uh, you basically have free onboarding support to have a Microsoft partner or Microsoft come in to help uh, with some of that engagement, deployment planning and whatnot, so that uh, it's not quite as painful or... And I'm not even saying, you know, Office 365 is painful. It's just more change is painful and helping folks be able to know, you know, the right URL to go to now instead of uh, their previous URLs can sometime, sometimes be a little bit painful, as you and I both know. I think my <laughs> my favorite uh, thing like that <clears throat> in terms of deployment and getting folks online was just, uh, you know, having to go through the coaching and whatnot of end users and saying, so you open up Internet Explorer and you go to this URL and they you know, sit there and they look at you strange and they say, what's Internet Explorer? And you end up going the big blue E and they go, oh, the big blue E. Yep. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that that is out there and available to you to help out with those kind of end user engagements and onboarding is a tremendous help that they've put into play. Yeah. So, so we've got tooling like Deploy, which actually helps us get through that deployment. Um, and then one of those last URLs is success.office.com. Uh, and that will point folks over to the new uh, Office 365 Customer Success Center, uh, which is all about we've gone through deployment, uh, we've, we've stood up the tech on the back end, uh, now how do we better leverage it? How do we keep everybody engaged and moving forward? So um, that has all sorts of resources. So uh, how do we maybe uh, connect with others in the community? So how do I get involved with things like the Office 365 Technical Network, involved in Microsoft Forums, things like that, if I have a question. Um, a lot of those templates, uh, so you know, if you want to put on a lunch and learn or keep office hours or uh, you know, send out uh, emails about functionality that's available in your system, um, Microsoft gives you kind of a, a kit to just pick and choose and um, pull what you need out of there. So if your marketing department doesn't want to, or your communications department, you know, they say, ah, we really don't know what to do, we don't know what to put together, a uh, lot of great resources in there to just say, here you go, Microsoft's done the work for you. Uh, we just need to massage it into our own formats and maybe work on the messaging a little bit so they align with uh, uh, with our organization. Yeah, it's always uh, a little painful when you stumble into an organization and they've pulled down the materials, but they haven't customized them. Um, always customize the materials, yeah. So moving on, I know we had talked a little bit at, uh, offline about user voice last week. Um, user voice. Scott, you wanted to talk about this, uh, about Andrew Connell and the company? Yeah, so, so we've mentioned this resource in the past, a way to go out and get some visibility with the product groups. 
uh, at Microsoft, whether that's for things like Office 365 uh, or even on-premises deployments of SharePoint, things like that. Uh, so over the last week, uh, Andrew Connell uh, post posted a, a particular issue up on User Voice. Um, he wrote about it on his blog, so we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but basically uh, talks about uh, an interesting idea around implementing uh, some type of a, uh, a modern brand packaging. Um, so maybe a NuGet package or something that developers can pull down um, or designers uh, as they're walking through and designing these solutions for Office 365 um, to help with branding their apps. So if we're doing a, um, a provider hosted app, uh, things like that, really we want to be able to pull in um, all the theming from, uh, from our source system. And, that, and that's really not possible without a, a bunch of manual work today. Um, and it might be nice to have that pack in place. Um, and it also opens up some other things. So if they want to base it off existing implementations for uh, maybe some other design methodologies or, or uh, things that are out there like uh, bootstrap from Twitter or something like that. Um, so, so his proposal was, hey, let, let's go out and do this. Maybe it needs to be community driven. Um, so, so that way, you know, we're all figuring out everything together. Um, just thought it was a nice, interesting way to, to point folks again back to user voice and uh, see what's going on on that side of the world. So, uh, you know, maybe people go and read that and they say, ah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the best idea. Uh, but hopefully while they're in there poking around in user voice, maybe they'll see some other things or uh, it'll just kickstart, you know, you know, what they want to do with things and maybe they'll, they'll put in their own entry and point people to it. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing that, you know, is kind of interesting to me is uh, <clears throat> if folks would engage with user voice or if folks would engage with the PNP, you know, that might, uh, that might help out with some of that customer need, though I think, you know, perhaps the PNP charter has a little bit different uh, flavor to it as to perhaps what the purpose behind all that is. Yeah, there, there's two different paths through there. So uh, user voice is more about um, that end user community trying to communicate back to Microsoft. And PNP is actually the, the release guidance that comes out on the other side. Um, so uh, they don't typically collect issues or feature requests inside of PNP. So they, they go out to the wider community. So I know from time to time, if you follow those repos on GitHub, uh, you'll see them throw new issues in, you know, Vessel throw something, hey, we saw this pop up on the Office 365 technical network. We think it's interesting and we should implement it. Hey, we saw this pop up on user voice. We think it's interesting and we should implement it. So they're going out to those other resources and then pulling those over as individual users. And then if, anybody wants to contribute to PNP, like directly in the development of that, uh, there's also paths through for that. So they've accepted, I, th I think they're up to uh, three or four non-Microsoft employees who actively contribute to that project right now. Um, basically involves signing like a community agreement with Microsoft and um, a, a couple other things, just a, a legal agreement so everybody kind of does the, the CYA thing. Um, so th they're, they're, they'll drive towards the same goal of let's implement features uh, you know, user voice and Office 365 technical work, things like that. Those are more, let's throw a bunch of things against the wall and let the best things bubble up to the top. Once the best things have bubbled up to the top, uh, the PMP team and that kind of tighter community is deciding what things get developed and come out on the other side. Yeah, and if, uh, if you're not out, you know, on a regular basis looking at user voice, I definitely encourage you to hop out to the multiple different spots, whether it's OneDrive, SharePoint, or Office 365 Dev, uh, all great uh, spots to kind of share some feedback. Um, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of the different uh, statuses they've got on those where it'll be thinking about it or declined. Um, and it's also neat to see, you know, what the feedback is when uh, something does get declined. Um, for instance, they had one out there where it was about improving document management, and I think they put in probably 25 different features they would like to see. And so uh, 365 team said that's great, but uh, can you split it out into, you know, multiple different ideas? So hopefully folks will uh, begin engaging a little bit more through that conduit. And, uh, you know, it is about uh, what's got biggest bang for the buck and what folks need. So uh, the more upvotes something gets, the more likely Microsoft will consider that for future deployment into the system. But speaking of, uh, you know, things that are out there, uh, have you started watching House of Cards Season 3 yet? I'm still stuck in Season 2. I haven't made it through yet. I've been doing 
uh, binge watching a bunch of other things. I'm, I'm doing House of Cards, Parks and Rec, uh, went back to start Lost, and then uh, trying to keep up on all my American TV and Hulu and things like that. So uh, only so much time in the day, you know, to go out and collect links for the podcast and do the job uh, and then watch TV. So it's definitely sitting in my watch list. Uh, I'm going to get to it uh, when I get to it. I've heard it's pretty good. Uh, I'm just going to think, just sit down and do it, you know. Yeah. Uh, tape my eyes open, clockwork orange style, get the eye drop out and uh, just barrel through it. Kind of be like uh, when we did that marathon for The Walking Dead a couple years ago. Uh, the difference being that I will not be freaked out at three in the morning when I'm walking around to get in my car looking, you know, at the corner of my eyes for something to jump out and bite me. Uh, instead, it'll be me, you know, looking around nervously for someone trying to throw me in the back of the car. Um, but uh, I have cracked open the seal. I have popped the seal for House of Cards season three. I'm about, a set, uh, I guess, an episode and a half through. Uh, much like yourself, it is definitely hard to make it through the entire season and binge, binge watch it. I know uh, a lot of folks <clears throat> happened to sit down and watch it last weekend, so good on them. Um, I'm still, you know, watching my Americana, so to speak, like uh, the Blacklist and whatnot. So it's eventually it'll get done. Um, I don't know if I'll do the uh, 14 or 15 hour binge though. Ah, do it. You got nothing else going on. Oh yeah, you know nothing. Uh, <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll have it running in the background while I'm presenting down in Philadelphia. That'll be good times. There you go. Give give the audience something else to uh, get up to speed on in case they don't like OneDrive or whatever else you're talking about. Exactly. All right. Uh, so one of the other things I want to talk about uh, was some tooling that was uh, recently put out there uh, by Bill Baer. Uh, he works uh, over in the SharePoint product group. Uh, so he released this little thing. It's called the SharePoint Cloud Migration Assistant. It's actually sitting up uh, in his OneDrive, I believe. Uh, so we'll throw a link up to that in the show notes. But it's basically uh, a surveying mechanism. So you're going to go through and uh, install this tool. Um, runs in the form of like a Windows uh, 8 or, or Windows 10 app, you know, comes up. Um, and it walks you through um, a, a bunch of different survey areas around uh, how you might want to look at getting to the cloud uh, if you're not there already. Uh, so it'll, it'll ask you things about your on-premises systems, uh, maybe how many users you have, uh, uh, you know, do you have tooling like ADFS in place already, do you have requirements for SSO, things like that. Um, and what it drives us to at the very end is it generates a report uh, that is going to provide kind of a, a general risk assessment based on whatever logic Bill built into there, you know, um, low, medium, high kind of thing. Um, and then for each of those areas that are defined that apply to uh, your migration, you're going to be offered specific guidance, uh, basically in the form of uh, quick snippets and links back to specific areas uh, inside of TechNet uh, that have to key in on your deployment. So if you have a requirement for SSO and ADFS, um, there's going to be a link in that uh, report that takes you over to all those configuration steps and what you're going to need to do to uh, hook that up with Office 365 and get to where you need to be. Um, so it's nice to see some tooling like that out there. It'd probably be nice to see it packaged up a little bit better, uh, maybe officially distributed by Microsoft rather than just sitting out and build one drive. Um, but it is a nice resource for um, anybody who's looking at going down that route um, to at least run through it and maybe get a more consolidated list of, of links and areas to look at because TechNet is so uh, wide and deep these days that it's really easy to jump into some of those, uh, you know, higher level articles that have, you know, 17 sub steps and you might only need, you know, three or four of them. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this is very much akin to like what OnRamp is for Office 365, where it goes through that, uh, that wizard builder of uh, questions where someone says, hey, I've got these, these things and this is what my environment looks like and I'm trying to do a hybrid email implementation with Exchange or something else and it kind of spits back the TechNet articles or says, oh, you need a partner. Here are the 12 partners we recommend you go talk to. Is that kind of the same uh, same thing? Uh, yeah, very similar to OnRamp in kind of that survey sense. Uh, focuses more on SharePoint um, and, and the SPO side of things. Uh, so I think typically when we look at, uh, you know, a lot of the deployment resources for Office 365, they tend to focus on exchange and messaging um, because quite frankly, those are usually the easiest workloads to get up there. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to tell people, you know, if you're gonna migrate to Office 365, do exchange first 
um, because SharePoint's going to be a real, you know, pain in the butt. Uh, but you, we know how to do exchange and other things. Those are, those are kind of um, known things that we can quantify and, and put some measurements around uh, right out of the gate. So Bill's tool is more focused just on, on, on the SharePoint side of things. Yeah, speaking of uh, pains in the butt, um, last month there was a little article that I guess Stefan Gossner put out there about uh, delivering SharePoint CUs as Windows updates. And that was kind of one of those things where we went, what? Are you kidding me? That's going to screw up everything. Um, it looked like there was yet another announcement on Stefan's blog. Uh, that basically said, ha just kidding. Um, we're not going to put SharePoint CUs as Windows updates, but if it is a SharePoint security update, we are going to put it through Windows update and the CUs will come out in uh, the download center kind of like normal. Um, I, I was kind of surprised that was the only fanfare or only spot that that was really documented. I didn't really see that anywhere else. Did you? No, I, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit, but the the messaging and communication around this has been uh, just abysmal. Um, so, you know, unless folks know about Stefan and, and his blog, uh, you're just never going to know about these things. And that, that's not a great way to find that your environment's been patched in a weird way. Um, so, you know, last month in February, they had security and non-security updates uh, pushed into uh, Windows Update. So now they're saying we're only going to push security updates in. Everything else is going to be over in the download center still. So CUs still come packaged as a mix of security and non-security. Um, it could be possible that you've already had security updates deployed into your farms. Uh, basically, this is just a, a, a mess on the patching front. Yeah, I, I get that they want everybody to be on the latest and greatest and, and, uh, and up to date. Uh, I'm just not sure that this is the right way to do it and, and kind of the right way to... Um, push it out there because it's going to break a lot of environments. It's going to uh, tick a lot of people off and it's going to lose some goodwill that really doesn't need to be lost because uh, er everything was kind of working the way it was, right? We, we probably could have done a little bit more to um, maybe push the messaging around CUs, uh, but Microsoft would have had to do a better job around regression testing and other things, you know? Um, you know, that general guidance of, hey, don't deploy a CU unless you need a fix that's in it. That still applies, but now you all of a sudden you're going to start seeing these these updates come through uh, Windows Update. Uh, it it's just leaves everybody in a really weird, awkward spot. Yeah, I, I'm glad to see them listen, maybe. But uh, like you mentioned, the messaging perhaps could be a teensy bit better. So it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, on again on the SharePoint front. Um, AIM released their latest uh, report focused on SharePoint, so basically their 2015 survey. So uh, AIM goes out and surveys a bunch of companies that are registered with them. I think they had uh, around about 440 uh, companies respond to their survey this year. So they survey in December and January, uh, release in February. Um, but this is a nice way to get a, a, a great pulse of how organizations are deploying SharePoint and things like that. So. I don't know if anybody's seen somebody like uh, Duck Sai, uh, like one of his talks in the past um, out on YouTube or seen him in person, but, um, you, you know, very energetic. And I, I remember the first couple of times I saw him speak, you know, they used to um, throw up these statistics around, uh, well, you know, 80% uh, of the SharePoint installations in North America are nothing other than glorified file shares. So a lot of those statistics and things like that tend to come from um, the, the AIM reports has been uh, my experience. So... Uh, this latest report came out, um, and one of the really big things that uh, kind of came out of it was how um, organizations actually aren't doing themselves any favors. Um, so there's an article on CMS Wire. Um, generally, not a fan of CMS Wire, but you know they they, they did have a pretty um, succinct capture of, of what this report was, um, and it talks about how um, a lot of SharePoint deployments are really considered failed deployments, right? So one of the big things was uh, about two out of three organizations um, complained that their SharePoint projects had stalled, and that was 26% of the respondents, or failed to live up to expectations. That was 37% of the, the, the respondents. So um, if your project is stalled and it's not living up to expectations, there's some major, major failings there in uh, communications and also kind of what organizations are uh, thinking they can take on. 
And then the other flip side of it is all these organizations, the majority of them are saying, um, we're going to stick with SharePoint. So um, even though it's stalled or they think it's not working and it's failing, they're still saying that they see some value there and they've measured something that says, hey, we're, we're going to stick with it and keep moving. Um, I don't know how it is with, with, with your clients and things like that, but I know sometimes I walk away from implementations and I go, oh man, that, that, that one, you know, if we come back in two years, it's just not going to be in a good place. And there's other ones that you walk out of and you feel really great about. Um, you're like, all, all right, I, I feel like we've done good work and, and this organization is going to be leveraging the system in a much better way than maybe um, some of their, their other direct peers. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I mean, this goes back to kind of that uh, worst practices talk we used to give together. A lot of it always comes down to what the uh, the C-suite kind of determined. If you know, if the CTO goes out and says, "Oh, we need document sharing," and yada yada yada, I almost want to say, "Sweet, have you looked at uh, classification policies that you can use with Windows Server 2012 R2? You don't have a requirement to make it externally available." Do that. Um, that that'll meet your need really, really well. Um, but instead, we see them look at it and go, oh, let's go with SharePoint on-premise. We need every service application running, and we don't know what we're doing, but I'm sure it can't be that difficult. Um, you know, it, it goes back to right tool for the right thing. Um, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of the same implementations will have the requirement in place, um, but we won't see kind of the CIO uh, get behind it from the perspective of, uh, you know, making certain that the system has uh, kind of the information uh, built out and the appropriate information architecture. So have they gone through and, you know, done, done those uh, card sorting activities to make certain they've got uh, the taxonomy of sites and taxonomy of uh, metadata appropriate for the organization? Um, or, uh, you just mentioned this, just the same, uh, have they gone through and have they figured out uh, what they can automate through SharePoint? Um, that always seems to be one of the sticklers and it cracks me up that so many organizations get wound up about, you know, what's the implementation going to look like before they actually figure out what the business problem is they're trying to achieve. Um, sometimes very much the same way, uh, walk away from a project and uh, just think to myself, you know, it was fun. Um, they're good people. I just, uh, you know, we need to make certain we keep helping to course correct uh, so that we, you know, stay on target of that, uh, the purpose of why we're implementing this and not uh, building the biggest, awesomest, uh, you know, SharePoint environment in the world, but we're making certain that it does have a purpose that uh, end users are going to be able to really jive with. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a better way through it. You know, I, I get laughed at a lot by um, some people in organizations sometimes when we walk in and, you know, walk into a new project and we say, all right, kind of uh, what's your business case for this or, or what's your mission statement behind this deployment? Kind of, uh, you know, we want to have some succinct set of marching orders and a goal that we're all working towards. And usually you get back, well, you know, we have to turn SharePoint on. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds great, but what are we actually going to use it for? Uh, and that's going to drive a lot of those implementation details. So we don't want to turn every bell and whistle on. Um, we might want to do that for a POC, but we don't want to do that for production implementations. Um, you know, you know, we want to let people kind of grow organically into some of this stuff sometimes. Uh, so, so that AIM report certainly points to that. It looks like uh, a, a number of organizations probably take on too much in the front. Um, and then they've either been too lofty in their goals or they haven't defined their goals well enough uh, to actually be able to drive to some type of measurable result at the end of an implementation. Um, so it'd, it'd be nice to see organizations get there someday. I don't, I don't know how that happens or when that happens. I, I know I'll just uh, uh, you know, pour a beer and say cheers uh, when it does. Yeah, I think it's uh, it all goes back to defining you know what are the success criteria and what are the uh, things you're trying to accomplish. if. If you're just, like you said, well, we're here to turn SharePoint on, um, or we're, we're here to get into the cloud, then sweet, uh, more than happy to help you out, uh, you know, setting up an Azure subscription and creating a website there. But uh, if that's the success criteria, so be it. Um, really would prefer to see the systems actually uh, be able to be used for what they're meant for instead of just, uh, like you mentioned, turning it on. So.
Yeah, yeah. I, you know, again, it'd be a good place to get to. So hopefully someday we do get there. Uh, let's talk about some other stuff that's been out there. Maybe uh, a little bit happier. We can put exclamation points around things. Sweet. Uh, so uh, one of the things that was really nice to see over the last week uh, was uh, audit logs are coming to the Azure preview portal. Um, so for a long time, we've had tooling in AWS like CloudWatch. Um, which gives us uh, some really in-depth uh, logging and kind of reporting mechanisms around what's going on with our uh, subscriptions and what's going on within the deployments within them. Um, and in Azure, those have tend, to, tend to be piecemeal. They tend to be service by service. So maybe I have some audit logs for things like SQL Azure. Maybe I have a separate logging mechanism for Azure AD. Um, so what they've come out with is uh, a little bit of a higher level logging mechanism. Um, so these have been surfaced through the Azure preview portal. Um, basically, they're going to apply to subscription level uh, changes, resource group changes, things like that. So maybe if somebody adds a new ACL to uh, an endpoint on a cloud service, that updates a firewall rule internally. Uh, you're going to see that spit back in the logs that user X uh, made update Y to firewall rule whatever um, on this date and this time. Um, so that's all surfaced in the preview portal. It's actually a little bit, um, uh, it's kind of an awkward implementation at the moment, I would say. So it's, it's pretty easy to get to the blades and bring it up. Uh, but then when you want to read the actual error message, uh, it tends to be truncated with an ellipsis and you can't actually see the whole error message in the preview portal. So from a kind of viewing and, and reporting standpoint, uh, it, it kind of fails. It's, we've got the information, but I actually can't see all of it. Um, so one of the other things they announced in conjunction with uh, these logs coming to the preview portal is that there's SDK supported for that as well. So uh, the Azure Insights NuGet package is going to be updated uh, with support to pull down these logs and that'll allow uh, organizations uh, or really anybody who's an Azure customer um, once they started to generate some data behind here uh, to pull that stuff down and then massage it in whatever way they see fit. So that's how we can get to the the full error messages and, and see what's going on in all those little bits and pieces. Um, so I don't know about you, but personally, I'm really happy to see this, um, especially if they expand uh, the logging mechanisms and the error messages that go in there. So I, I think when we talked about this, um, you had said you'd gone into one of your subscriptions and there was nothing in the logs um, versus I go into some of my subscriptions and I see things in the logs because I happen to be doing um, events that are actually uh, generating messages. So th there's a little bit of um, kind of growing pain that's probably going to be involved with this until they define what messages are going to go into that logging stream and, and the different pieces and parts that come into it. Um, but hopefully this helps organizations get on board with Azure a little bit more, um, especially where they have those kind of uh, compliance concerns or you know even just to make the, the security folks happy around. Uh, we, we have a uh, a more granular way to do monitoring within Azure at a higher level. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm poking around looking at the SDK right now, and it's it's kind of interesting to see how they're, I guess, tying all this together. Um, it almost seems like they are taking what was like System Center Operation Manager and putting it up into the cloud in some regard, where it does the aggregation of event logs and errors and all that, but uh, I know it's probably not that. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it, Well, yeah. so that, that piece is something else. So that's actually uh, operational insights. So Azure has a bunch of insight offerings. So one is application insights. Um, operational insights is that kind of system center in the cloud. Let's aggregate all our Windows event logs and everything. So basically there's, there's an agent that gets installed. Um, one of the neat things about operational insights is... Um, it kind of does give you that, rather than having your system center deployment on-premises collect all that information, you can think of it as having that aggregated collection point being up in Azure. So it can collect information from uh, your Azure VMs um, as well as your on-premises VMs if you have those site-to-site uh, -site connections uh, or you have Express Route or, or some other kind of connectivity between your on-premises system um, and an Azure data center. Yeah, the uh, I guess the class library for insights has a kind of four major namespaces, and like you mentioned, it's got the insights and then the management insights. So it'd be interesting to kind of toy around with these and see what we could build from like a dashboard perspective if we're looking for something a little bit more custom than what uh, is going to be exposed in the preview portal. But 
that, that definitely does help out just to have kind of that centralized aggregation point because, you know, for those shops that don't have the equipment or the know-how of how to set up, uh, uh, you know, the SCOM component or that uh, system center operations manager for folks that don't like to say SCOM, um, you know, it's out there, it's available. It's, I don't want to say it's automatic, but the fact that, you know, it's the agent that resides inside the VM, uh, spitting information back out to Azure logging uh, definitely will come in handy. I'm still kind of curious when they're going to come out with something that mimics kind of what uh, CloudTrail does in AWS, where uh, if you know a user goes in and they make any sort of modification, uh, it pops up and shows up inside the uh, you know the system as hey a change has occurred, um, and that that's come in very very handy in the past for me when you know someone says oh no I didn't spin up that VM and I turn around and I say uh, yeah you did. And you did it, uh, you did this account at this time, and they go, oh, crud, you're right, we did. Uh, okay, we'll work out the financial piece of it later, but yeah, you know, sorry about that. Um, or just, you know, configuration errors that pop up and uh, have a way to better diagnose it. So hopefully, like you said, hopefully this will go down the path of uh, being expanded and uh, start to help us uh, be able to work through uh, audit logs a little bit easier. Yeah, I, cer I certainly hope so. It helps with that story a great deal when we're going out and uh, trying to build solutions around uh, that platform and push things through. Uh, so I, I know we're coming up on about an hour. So one of the last things I wanted to talk about uh, was uh, Falcon 9. Uh, they had a successful launch. So they've been working through, uh, you know, Elon Musk's uh, uh, SpaceX. They've been trying to launch a bunch of things up, um, basically doing uh, privatized, space things. Um, so they had a successful launch of their Falcon 9 rocket. Um, nice to see they kind of had a, a failure last month where uh, one of the rockets crashed into a pad in, in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, so this time they were launching some satellites uh, to put up into orbit for uh, 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 some Boeing satellites. They were going to put those up for uh, a French satellite provider um, and then an Asian broadcast satellite. Um, so it, really exciting stuff, uh, especially to see, you know, we don't fund NASA the same way in things uh, to get everything up into space. So um, it's, it's nice to see some private companies doing that. Uh, I don't know. Have you booked your ticket to Mars yet or wh where are you at with that? You know, I was thinking about it, but I really would prefer to wait till they do the Saturn trip. Uh, I think I'm going to let Andrew Connell and Chris Johnson go up to Mars first, check things out, make certain that, you know, the uh, the Ferrari rovers are working properly before I actually make the commitment to go. All right. Well, I'll, I'll leave that one to you. I think I'm going to stay earthbound for a little while. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're holding down things on the uh, the Southern Hemisphere right now. So we, we appreciate you for that. I don't know if you want to you want to hop into any of the other kind of meat of things. The only thing that I, you know, the only two quick, quick things that wanted to hop through. Um, one is... Uh, Google Contacts. Uh, Google just went through and they pushed out a preview of kind of a new uh, Google Contact system that you can get to uh, contacts.google.com slash preview. Uh, if you've been following Inbox, which is kind of the, the other view of uh, your Gmail, if you use Gmail, um, kind of gives you the ability to go through set reminders, uh, have things aggregated and grouped by, you know, different types of email. Uh, the Contacts Basically, it's kind of the same. It has the same look and feel. Um, started playing with it. The first thing it asks you when you pop in is, hey, we found all these uh, contacts that are duplicates. Would you like to merge them? And I said, sure. So uh, we'll see how much pain I go through when I have to unmerge contacts that shouldn't be merged together. Um, so it uh, is out there. It's more on the website. It looks fairly slick. So we'll see where it goes from there with that. And then uh, the other thing, um, something that uh, you and I got into, I wouldn't say a spat about, but uh, the deprecation of org accounts um, to actually be called work accounts. And I'll still always refer to them as org accounts, I think, or org IDs, just because that's you know what I've been uh, beating into the mantra of uh, working with Office 365 and Azure Active Directory the accounts that are stored in Azure Active Directory, obviously, are my org IDs. And now, I guess Microsoft has kind of changed the terminology to work accounts, um, vice personal accounts, which are more of those Microsoft Live IDs and or Easy IDs, because Easy IDs, you know, are just super easy to work with. 
Yeah, I don't know where they're going to go with that one. Um, you know, that, that stuff's always been really confusing with I have this ID and it's called this thing and this other one it's called this. Um, I, I, I was just surprised to see that pop out, uh, particularly in the context that um, I, I saw that note mentioned that, hey, we're, we're, you know, the AD team mentioned uh, we're deprecating uh, the terminology of organizational accounts for work accounts. Um, because it was in an announcement about some functionality inside an, an Android app, uh, the Azure Authenticator for Android, um, and how it's going to support workplace join. So I, f I found it really interesting that it, it was coming out on kind of one of those side platforms first. Um, it was an announcement that was made by the team in a comment on a blog post about Android. Um, and, and, you know, it's another one of those, hey, they're just going to name things what they name them. Um, and, and we've got to keep up, you know, it's Skype for cats, Skype for dogs, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's about it. Um, any parting thoughts, any parting words you'd have for us? A great one. No, I, th I think that's it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk next week. Uh, I think we're going to focus next week on Azure, um, and, and spend some time, uh, talking about that platform a little more deeply. Cool. Sounds good, man. Have a, have a good week and I'll catch up with you soon. All right. Have a good one, Dan. Cheers.